0: Hello, patrons.
1: Hi, everybody. This week, in order to uh, combat Trump's America, we are going to be talking about four ladies in charge of their sexuality.
0: Actually, this month. Please do not promise four patron episodes a month. That will kill us. We
1: could do four episodes on the Golden Girls.
0: Yeah, this month we're going to talk about the Golden Girls. It's a little bit of an out-of-the-box choice. But, uh, you know, we're kind of broadening the palette of these patron specials, trying to talk about other things that perhaps we find interesting. Um, we wanted we to also... do some
1: shorter shows that we obviously are not going to do an episode by episode of The Golden Girls, but it is one of our favorite shows. I think th- the show was one of the first things that Eric and I bonded over our love for it. And uh, I think it is certainly worth talking about as a whole.
0: Yeah, so we watched uh I think it was 12 episodes of The Golden Girls. We watched like 25.
1: I, I kept watching after I
0: watched my assigned ones. <laughs> well, I didn't because I uh, uh watched 3 episodes a day and that was about all mm. I could take cuz I had a, I had other things to do yeah. like work and, you know, make dinner. Uh, <laughs> but we I think we watched a good cross section of episodes. So for Richard, for anybody out there that that perhaps um has woken up from a 20-year coma or otherwise uh, is a horrible person, a horrible garbage person. Um, I, none of you are horrible garbage people. We are We are sorry. I, I don't know why I said that. Um, please tell us what The Golden Girls is.
1: Okay, so The Golden Girls was a fairly popular sitcom in the 80s and very early 90s um, about four women of a certain age living together in a house in Miami in the 1980s. So you had... Uh, B. Arthur playing uh, Dorothy Zbornak, who is a substitu- retired teacher. She's working as a substitute. She, prior to the events of the series, she's been divorced, and now she and her mother, Sophia Petrillo, live in this house. Um, the mother is very grew up in Sicily and is very colorful and funny, and we love her. Um, there is yes,
0: one of one of the uh, character beats for Sophia is that she had a stroke before the show started, and so she now has lost the ability to uh, modulate her reactions to things. She just blurts out anything like a child.
1: But I always got the sense she played up the illness because she just was is, was at the age where she didn't give a fuck anymore. Um,
0: Which, ironically enough, she was the youngest of all the cast members yeah. of the Golden Girls.
1: Um There is the wonderful Betty White as uh, Rose Nyland, who is from St. Olaf, Minnesota, and she is very naive and sweet, but God love her. And then there's Blanche Devereaux, who is the slut, played by – what the fuck is her name? Uh, Oh, my God. Rue McClanahan. What? Rue McClanahan. I forgot her name for a moment. Um, We'll talk about the slut-shaming on the show in a little bit, but um, it is – I, I, this is a very gay show in a lot of ways, right? Like it is. Well, there's,
0: there's a reason why gay men love this show. I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know how many of our patrons out there that are listening to this are gay or queer or whatever. Um, I assume at least a couple of you, although I don't want to assume maybe you're all straight and horrible. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and but... you're not
1: horrible. Your sexuality just is. So I'm yes, sorry.
0: Yes. The the choice of your sexuality is horrible. Um, that, that gay men classically love brassy women, if I can use that term. Uh, I think that we could go into a lot of different theoretical reasons for why that is. Can we? (laughs) Sure, go for it. Well, I
1: mean, I think my Uh, my general view why women are generally gay icons is, the classic example is that, Uh, particularly pre-Stonewall, but certainly then also in the 1970s when gay culture is starting to exist a little more openly, is that uh, gay men were historically treated pretty shitty and were generally viewed themselves as people who were – Suffering, whether it was from just simple persecution and homophobia or something like the HIV and AIDS crisis of the 80s uh, before that motherfucker Reagan acknowledged it, um, and didn't see many examples of role models among male actors. Generally, they did not find uh, the male role models of the time as expressing the same emotions that they were feeling. But then you have classic stars like Judy Garland and uh, Joan Crawford and Betty Davis, women who were feeling these – who were portraying themselves in movies where they are suffering greatly and who had all of these dramas in their own personal lives and were bearing it with grace and style and charm and and bravery and boldness. And so in a lot of ways – it was in women that gay when gay men were more able to identify their problems, and that's why you have female gay icons. And
0: yeah, st- well, and I and I, I think the other the uh, I'll just add two more things to that. I, I also think that uh, you know a lot of gay men enjoyed um, following the the romantic travails of these uh, women icons. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about their husbands and lovers, no, said personal dramas. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and you know gay men sleep with men so they would be interested in in that. Um you know as we are talking about the evolution of a more out gay culture in, in in the 70s and 80s, I think that straight men generally speaking of that time period were not um uh, it was not socially acceptable, yeah. culturally acceptable to to outwardly show a lot of strong emotion. And Gay men obviously had a lot of emotion that they were not able to show uh, in, in public. And so I think that, you know, there's there's a reason why, for example, someone like Judy Garland or Barbara Streisand or whoever, uh, you know, a lot of these women that became gay icons are are performers, singers. Uh, very expressive emotionally as well, so I think that has a lot to do with it. Uh, um, and and drag queens, and yeah. you know, we could go into a lot of different areas, but
1: I mean, the Golden Girls in general saw gay men in a way that more male focused shows did not. I mean, we, I, I I think it cannot be stressed how fucking homophobic the eighties were. Again, Reagan was in office. Fuck that guy. Um, and. So, you know, gay people were the punchline because that's, you know, a really shameful thing to be. Picture our nation as stuck in middle school, you know, as we are now, as our fucking president is stuck in middle school. Um, You know, gay is a a horrible thing. Being near a gay person will make you gay and you don't want to be gay because then you'll get AIDS and you'll die. And so, I mean, there are gay characters in The Golden Girls. We'll talk about one episode in particular in which – uh, they are treated with the same levity that everybody else is, but also with the same amount of seriousness and dignity. And yeah. I think that gay men have repaid that to this show. This show is very
0: historically
1: important for that. For the fact I, that I agree. you as a gay man could go to this house and be welcomed.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I agree with all of that. I think that... You know, looking at the Golden Girls as a whole, of course, it 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 was uh, most of the time a very well written, very funny show, and I think that that is something that cannot be discounted. We are talking about a, a, a one of the prime examples of the multicam sitcom yeah. uh, that has ever existed. I also think that we have to look at it from the point of view of um, this. These are four women. This is a very female driven show. Uh, the men, more often than not, are are objects or are butt of the joke in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that the four women – now, I have my problems with, um, you know, shade throwing and all that kind of stuff that is sort of endemic to, to gay male culture to some degree. Yeah. Um, but – and I think it is something that is, is is sort of going away to some degree, although sometimes not. But I think that this is a show – these four characters, in a way, are coded – as gay men <laughs> uh, in a way that I don't think a lot of people pick up on. Uh, um, yeah,
1: I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of, they're coded in the way that um, it reminds me a lot of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, how Elizabeth Taylor is a, is a gay man, all of these four characters are gay men. This has done a lot to make these shows for gay people.
0: Yes, and, 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 and to be clear, I mean, gay men worked on the show, uh, probably most famously Mark Cherry, who I believe went on to create Desperate Housewives. Um, you know I guess early on in his career because this was the the yeah. he was working on the show I believe in the or in the early 90s so certainly the case that that this was a show that as it went on longer and longer was realizing that it's not insignificant portion of its audience was was gay men and I think you see that in the the sort of uh, the shade throwing that the characters yeah. engage in that, that is where a lot of the humor comes from, but also frankly, the idea of a formed family. That is yes. something that, that queer people have always had to deal with um, being rejected by their biological family and having to create communities um, themselves. And then I also think that the show has developed later on throughout the AIDS crisis as well Yes, into a show that is not afraid to, tackle very, very weighty, important subjects in a respectful way, but also in a very funny way.
1: This is the era of the very special episode, but generally when you have the very special episode, it's usually from a very conservative view. You have all of the anti-drug episodes. When the Golden Girls does a very special episode, it is... Very much from a socially liberal point of view, for the most part, very much in an advocacy for, in particular, the elderly, for senior citizens, uh, recognizing that society has failed people of a certain generation or age, and that certain that reforms need to be made.
0: Yeah, yeah, because I think that that this, I mean, this is kind of a side tangent. So, so just bear with me for a minute, but. Um, the the movie weekend that was made by Andrew Hay came out I think in mm. twenty eleven, which was a very very sort of slice of life, uh, a cinema verite uh, sort of look at um, the a very very strong emotional connection between two gay men that formed over a weekend, and it is a movie that I think you know gay movies in general are usually not very good. Uh, this is first and foremost an actual movie, yeah, and. That kind of cemented his career in a way. He went on to, to help co-create Looking, which was canceled by HBO. I assume because HBO was full of homophobic people because it was getting the same ratings as Girls, and Girls went on for six seasons. But that's a side issue. Uh, <laughs> but I also think that um, if you look at his next movie he did, which um, the name of it is escaping me, but uh, uh, it was a, a movie with um, Charlotte Rampling and uh, playing, playing an, an, an older straight married couple And you're like, why is this guy who who is most famous for uh, uh, making movies and television shows about about gay men making this film about the emotional lives of an older straight couple? And I think that the reason for that is the same reason why the Golden Girls resonates with so many gay men, because the sex lives and the emotional romantic lives of older people is is something that people don't like to see, is something yeah. that people don't like to talk about in the same way that the emotional and sexual and romantic lives of queer people, of gay men in particular, uh, are still something that a lot of people don't want to talk about. And you see that in the Golden Girls as well. You know, that is a,
1: it, it's reminding, a lot of people will talk about why are many gay men more comfortable with things such as fetishes or open relationships or things like that. And the general answer is that when you're told that you just, the, the most vanilla form of your sexuality is unacceptable. Uh, well, I've already crossed a line, so let me see what else is around here. And yeah, you – geriatric sexuality is uh, is con- especially at this time considered a bit of a shameful thing. You're not supposed to uh, – Oh. oh. Generally, women's value will be tied to their sexuality and their beauty and all of that, and once you get past a certain age, once you get post-menopausal, that's all supposed to end, right? The uh, typical thing is at that point you're volunteering and you're just doing charity work until you die because you've had your kids. And here uh, here the show is very much about four women who are – again, even Sophia is portrayed as sexually active throughout the course of the series – And defined by different degrees, and the character of Blanche very much is dealing with the fact that she is somebody who always considered herself very beautiful and is now past the age that society says that, you know, she is useful in a way and is compensating for that.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I also think that that, I think all that's right, but I, I think that what's interesting about the Golden Girls as well is this was still the era when... I mean, I almost hate to say this, but but older women were allowed to look like older women mm. because, you know, I, I, I mean, most famously, for example, there's a lot of talk around the, the new um, Star uh, star, uh, star Trek, uh, the new Spider-Man movie that's coming out um, just a few days after after this is released. And, you know, Marissa Tomei is playing Aunt May <laughs> and, you know, Aunt May is generally yeah. speaking considered to be a very elderly woman. and I mean, I remember Marissa Tomei. It still looks like you know a hot chick, essentially. Well, I remember how um, Aunt
1: May was in the Tomu Aguirre Spider Man. She was an elderly woman,
0: yeah, right. And I mean, I think that ar- the argument has been made that uh, Marissa Tomei playing Aunt May is more age appropriate because you know Peter Parker is like sixteen and she's like forty five. Yeah. Then it would be for like an eighty year old to play Aunt May. Why does she have a nephew that's? I thought it was a great aunt when always. she's eighty. But, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I, I think the point is that the the, the age appropriateness of, of, of the female, uh, you know, female aging has always been an issue in Hollywood. And or even something like, um, you know, hot in Cleveland or something, yeah. which, you know, it, are, are women that are about the same ages as, as the characters in the Golden Girls. But they're obviously a lot more uh, traditionally hot. I mean, yeah, I don't think that Blanche, for example, is unattractive, but she looks like a woman that of of her age. Yeah, she is
1: uh yeah, she may be dressed she seems to that she's dressing maybe about 10 years younger than she ought to be, but she is still dressed as she's not dressed as somebody who is 20.
0: But isn't that part of the thing though is that I think it's interesting that you say she's dressing 10 years younger than she ought to because <laughs> isn't that part of the golden girls though is that there is no ought to? Yeah, like, and I guess
1: uh, assume that I had air quotes around that, but
0: right, like, you know, Part of the part of the I think the revelatory nature of the Golden Girls even now, you know, 25, 30 years later, is that these are four older women that are still demanding full participation in life. Yeah, they are not just saying, okay, well, I'm 55 now. I'm not going to date. I'm not going to have sex. Uh, They are having a full engaged 360 degree view of life, you know, and that is something that I think is is still even now looked at as as strange
1: yeah i mean many episodes deal with uh one of them slipping and you know there there was one episode i watched where the sophia recognizes that you know her friends are dying or moving away and she's not really doing anything and they're trying to figure out how to get her to have a social life again or you know dorothy it's been forever since you've gone on a date you should see somebody you need to go out you know you need to still figure out how to do a thing, you know, even if you're not working a full-time job, what are you doing to keep busy to, to, to make an impact on the world? Uh, I, I think they, they, the show very much says that just because you're past a certain age does not mean that you are outside of society. I mean, it's funny to watch the series and realize how much fuller their social lives are than mine, how they are always doing a thing.
0: Yeah, and I mean, of course, yes. part of that is that they're on television show, but but,
1: but at the know, same time, they are also they're all, they are not doing things that I don't have access to. They're always volunteering for a thing, always down at a community center, always meeting new people.
0: Yeah, it's weird, right? Because I was doing a little bit of research, um, you know, in preparation for recording this, and I, I read kind of the the AV Club, you know, you, does mm. uh, episode by episode reviews a lot of stuff they haven't done in the Golden Girls. I don't know. I don't know how useful or, or, or interesting yeah. a, an episode-by-episode episode analysis of the Golden Girls would actually be. Um, so I think the, the sort of broad approach is, is best. And one of the things that I think is interesting is that, you know, the person who wrote uh, that write-up for the A.V. Club was a woman. And, and she said that this show was about four women that are waiting around to die. Huh. And... Which is, like, a weird thing to say. I I, I don't necessarily... I mean, I can see that. I don't necessarily disagree with that read of the show. I mean, that sounds like one of those such a... snarky internet things. Well, I mean... I, I haven't read the con- review, in, obviously. In context, it wasn't snarky, though. In context, it was like, here are four women who are past the prime of their life. All of their children are grown up. Mm-hmm. Their husbands have left them or, or have died. And, you know, they are basically now just waiting around to die themselves. And what do you do when you're waiting around to die? Um, And and so life has passed them by in a way. And I, I can see that reading of the show, but I also think that it's such a different it's such a different fundamental look at the show than I am used to seeing because. I watch the show and I see four very vibrant women who are continuing to do a lot of very active things in the community. They're dating, they're they're volunteering for things, they're working, We and they also have each other. They have the very, very strong relationships with, with each other. They watch each other. They look out for each other. You know, I don't think that these are women that are waiting around to die.
1: I would say that, I mean, it, we see some glimpses of these characters before they met each other. Um, There's one episode where uh, it's Blanche going to, uh, she every year still goes to the same restaurant that she, that where her husband proposed to her. And now that even now that he's died and uh, there's one episode where it flashes back to Rose at St. Olaf, you know, talking to her dead husband and deciding to move away to Miami and start a new life. And It is very clear that before they met each other, they were searching for something, but they found it in each other and it is together that they do have their dignity. I wouldn't say that they're waiting around to die. I'd say that the four of them are kind of teaching each other how to live or they are giving meaning to each other's life in that way. Uh,
0: Yeah. I I, I think think, that's right.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very cynical view of the show. I think it's a view that doesn't you know, underst- doesn't understand that... I don't know, because yes, with all the catcalling, and there is a na- there can be a nastiness to this, and a lot of... I, I, I've read a lot of stuff dealing with, you know, frenemies and this feeling that, you know, two women can't just have a warm, supportive relationship to each other. There has to be an amount of cutting each other down, and that is certainly there, but they are also...
0: Which is also something that is true about a lot of gay Yeah,
1: Man. I mean... Well, let's be clear. Yeah, it, I I, I think it is time that... I, I think that does almost come off as internalized misogyny or homophobia. I mean, again, the way that they all kind... They both accept Blanche's sex life and they condemn Blanche for her sex life in this. Uh,
0: well, I think that, I mean... I don't know. Part part of it, of course, is that it's a sitcom. Yes, of and course. The, 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 it's a joke machine, and the jokes have to come from somewhere. And you know, the the best sitcoms, I think, are rooted in understanding of character, and um, the jokes are coming from from who the characters are. One of the interesting litmus tests that I've heard for sitcoms that have have always stuck with me is, and I think I heard this way back when uh, news radio was on. Okay, that, is that the best sitcoms feature characters that can be funny in any combination mm. and mm. i think that's a really interesting way to look at a sitcom and i think that it's a very uh instructive way to look at a sitcom and i think that the golden girls works that yeah. way if you think of any four if you think of any of the different pairings of these characters i think you can get some humor out of any of them yeah and but but it's also rooted in the character work that the show is doing. It's also rooted in, I think, a love the, for the, that these characters have for each other. And, you know, if you look at the entire show, I mean, the show ran for seven years. It it got a bit. I, I think charitably speaking, it got a bit lazy. Um, especially in the 7th season. You know, I, I watched uh, 3 7 season episodes for, for for you know for recording this and you know charitably speaking I yeah. I don't think they're they're the best that the show's ever done. And I think that there is a there there was a mean-spiritedness to the show that was sort of leeching through especially later on as the 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 jokes were less yeah. tempered with warmth. But when the show was at its peak, when the show was at its best, mm. I think that it was saying that You know, four people that have a close friendship like this, a close relationship like this, are going to get on each other's nerves sometimes, but they're still going to be there for each other.
1: Yeah, I mean, over the course of the series, their friendship cements to the degree to which uh, they end up becoming all part owners of the house, and they, in one episode, make a pact to all of each other, like, we're going to be dealing with health problems eventually, we have each other's backs, no matter what our family says. And again, that is a very uh, that is very significant to to an audience of gay men who are going to be dealing with the fact that if they get sick, their family might not take their partner's wishes into account.
0: Right, right. And I I think that, you know, that was certainly true when the show was on. I think it's less true now, but it certainly still does happen. You know, I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't still happen. Um, well, we needed, well, I a, needed the,
1: the fucking Supreme Court to let us, and still, you know.
0: Yeah, well, the Texas Supreme Court it's just decided go the quite, other but. day that, you know, <laughs> not all the rights of marriage can be applied to gay couples, so great. Yeah, happy um, Sexual pride day, motherfuckers. Yeah, now we have Gorsuch on the court, and I'm sure that's going to be great for everybody involved. Um yeah, so America's fucked, everyone. If you don't live here, you should be listen. Quiet. If the Golden uh,
1: Girls could get through Reagan, and if every single one actress on the Golden Girls could watch Reagan die of Alzheimer's, we can watch all of those motherfuckers go.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well let's let's not turn this into a political I'm podcast. Sorry. Um,
1: but but I do see this as having some uh, this show as having some serious political implications to it. Again, done done comedically but it is making some very strong points about the dignity of some people who are marginalized it does have a point of well, view
0: yeah yeah oh no it absolutely does i mean we, one of the episodes that i watched um you know for for this podcast is 72 hours Yeah, ago, a very famous episode of the show um where uh it was what 19 it was the sixth season so it was probably like what 91 92 around that then. point and so pretty late in the show's run but It was. It's a really well done episode where Rose gets a letter. She had her gallbladder out, you know, ten years ago or whatever, Mm -hmm. and uh, before uh, HIV was was known and discovered. And it basically says, "Hey, we think you might have gotten some some tainted blood. Um, You you might have HIV. You might have AIDS." And it's a very. I mean, the show didn't need to do that, especially not in the sixth season. I mean, sitcoms. If they do deal with serious matters, like you said, it's usually done in a very sort of after-school special mm-hmm. way. And seventy-two hours is a really interesting episode of the show because it it very bald-facedly deals with an issue that a lot of gay men were dealing with, obviously yeah. at that time period. Um, but it does it in a way which allows the characters, especially Rose, to to be a little be be assholes, kind of.
1: Yeah, I mean it's. On the one hand, it's interesting how dated the episode is, especially in terms of medication and prognosis. Like they they say several times, like HIV, this is going to kill me. You know, they confuse HIV and AIDS. You know, things like that, which aren't the case anymore. But which it's remarkable the amount of education that they do slip into this episode and the points that they make. I mean, there's there's a bit with Uh, Rose using a, having to use a fake name because she's embarrassed about this. And, uh, Blanche is saying, yeah, well, people can lose their jobs. People can lose, you know, mortgages if they get this thing, which is, I mean, that's the movie Philadelphia, right? That was the movie that told straight people that AIDS existed. Um,
0: and, and, you know, weirdly enough, I mean, not, not to get personal, but like, you know, I, as a gay man get an HIV test, you know, every once in a while and, uh, it's funny to me because, like, the last time I got one, my doctor was basically like, do you want insurance to pay for this? And I'm like, yeah. yes, why wouldn't I? But it was a very yeah. old school idea that people wouldn't want it to appear in their insurance because if it was positive, they might have problems. You know, yeah. and this was in 2017. So this is something that people still deal with to this day. Yeah,
1: no. And, I mean, where we are in terms of medications, I mean, again, I'm on a daily pill, which has very minimal to no side effects, and it's an HIV-prevented f- – I mean, that th- this exists. Um, and it, it is it is, a, it is a wonder how much progress we have gone through and how much more progress we could have had. And I just hope this isn't fucking stifled. But
0: um, – <laughs> Well, yeah, but I think that, that that is what is so interesting about yeah. the episode, though, is that it allows Rose to be really scared as, as someone. I mean, let's, let's yeah. be clear. I mean, Rose is supposed to be a, like, late 50s, early 60s woman who never really had to deal with uh, homosexuality or yeah. anything. And suddenly she is thrust into this position of possibly having a, a disease that, frankly, like, scared people to fucking death. Yeah. And, you know, it, it allows her to be... Kind of an asshole, a little bit, yeah, and, but 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 justifiably so. But then it also allows the character of Blanche mm-hmm. to basically go, "Hey, you know what? I've had an HIV test yeah. because I sleep with a lot of men," and that is such a. I mean, even today, yeah. I don't think that you would get an episode of a network sitcom doing something like
1: that. I mean, it is very strong. Again, we don't want to get political, but we are. The, the, there is a lot of discussion lately about who deserves to have health care, and health care is not, you know, it's not a moral failing to get sick, and especially early days of HIV, it was a sinner's disease, right? It's the disease of, you know, fags and junkies, and, you know, if you, and people who have a lot of sex, and people who are, you know, if... And black people, let's not forget yes. the whole Haitian, oh,
0: you know, African condition, you know. Oh, I yeah, mean. no,
1: you're right. Um, people who get HIV deserve to get it, and, and I mean, there is the part where Roe is does have that view where she's saying, you know, I'm a goody two shoes. I don't deserve to have this. And, you know, Blanche justifiably yells at her for, you know, this isn't a, this isn't, it's a, it's an illness. It's not a moral failing. This isn't a bad person's disease. It happens. It's, 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 it's a health problem, not a, not a moral problem. And right, that is, I mean, even today is a very strong statement to make us. And, Again, something that this is a show which saw gay men, which knew that at this point gay men who had HIV were feeling that were being told by family members and by you know clergymen and by just politicians that they were wrong for having this disease and to have this show say no you're not, it's it it sucks, but it just happens.
0: Right, and and this is, I mean, you know, I'm I'm I started reading, um, uh, How to Survive a Plague, mm-hmm. which is a, a you know a nonfiction retelling of, um, the the AIDS crisis, especially from from the point of view of the mid the mid eighties yeah. onward, and you know one of the little factoids that I had actually never even heard before is that, um, it was estimated that something like eighty percent of hemophiliacs were exposed mm-hmm. to HIV in, in the yeah. early mid eighties because there were no tests for it, and you know, to think about that, to think about the, the fact of the matter is that, that you know, people that needed um, yeah. the, 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 you know, plasma uh, 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 that was being donated by by gay men. I mean, gay men were, were doing, gay men uh, famously were doing blood drives, uh, yeah. uh, you know, in the late 70s and early 80s as a way to sort of like, I guess, I don't know, curry favor or something. And because we're good people and went out the, the window. People.
1: Yeah, I know. I would love to fucking give blood. Um, we still can't even though we do have a test for it. Um Anyway.
0: Well, you can give blood now. You just have to say you haven't had sex for six months. No. Um, okay, so I ha- don't have to lie then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think moving aside from, from this particular episode yeah. of the show, I think that that's really where uh, – that's part of where the show shines, yeah. right? But then you look at other episodes like – um, uh, 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 like Grab That Doe, for Friends, <laughs> which we also watched. And, you know, it is a goofy episode. It yeah. has absolutely nothing to do with any sort of like, uh, you know, sociological problem or political thing. It's not a statement episode. It's, it's just... It's a comedy of errors. Four, yeah, it's it's a situational comedy. It is these four characters in a farce on a game show getting into situations. and But it's really, really well done. It's really funny. And it's what the show was doing at its best. I mean, the Golden Girls, when it was at its best, was extraordinarily funny. And I think that is where a lot of its power comes from.
1: Uh, Betty White, apparently, in an interview, was asked, why do people still watch the show? And that was her answer. It's just a funny show. I mean, the four of them work amazingly well together. You, They obviously liked working together. They obviously were very good at working together. They, and this, the writing staff grew to learn how to write for them very well. I mean, I read one article that was talking about how, you know, Rose does these great St. Olaf stories and, uh, you have, uh, Sophia, you know, the picture at Sicily, 1923, but B. Arthur wasn't as, you know, she could certainly do a monologue, but her strength was more, her just like looking at the audience and giving this reaction. Like that was B. Arthur's particular, one of her particular strengths. And, you know, as as they went on, they learn. Okay, we can give Sophia this, you know, page long monologue, and it'll be hilarious. And then we just have to tell B. Arthur just react to this, and it'll be wonderful.
0: Yeah, because in a lot of ways, B. Arthur is is the spice of the show. Yeah. Like, she, if you've ever watched the show? There's a particular beat that a lot of the a lot of the the scenes have, and you know one of the ways in which B. Arthur was used very effectively yeah. is I mean she famously has this very low voice, and she can cut through the <laughs> laughter and clapping of the studio audience in a way that none of the other characters really could because she had such a, a deep resonant voice, and so you know they have their jokes and blah blah blah, and then she comes out with this one liner that <laughs> just kills, and that ends the scene, and it usually works very well. I think that. The, all of the characters, like you, are all the actresses, like you said, work very well together. But they also, um, they weren't afraid to play around with their own images. I guess. I mean, B. Arthur was probably most famous, of course, for Maud. She's playing a particular character yeah. in the Golden Girls. But, like, for example, you know, Betty White and Rue McClanahan were well known for playing the exact opposite types of characters that they were well known for playing in the Golden Girls. Yeah, I mean, they were told they uh,
1: originally uh, were pitched to. uh play that and they kind of at the last minute decided among the two of them, we'd like to switch parts.
0: Right. Right. And I think that worked really well because that was, I mean, you know, for example, Betty White was very famous for playing a sex pot in uh, the Mary Tyler Moore show and she changed her part entirely. No one kind of thought that she could do Mm -hmm. that. Now, interestingly enough, I think that because of the popularity and the enduring nature of the golden girls, it's more well known that Betty White was playing this naive character, and Rue McClanahan was playing the sex pot, than vice versa, yeah. as they were in the 70s. But it is the case that they were still playing against type.
1: Yeah, that's. And I, 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 I think that is why it feels, because it does feel very fresh, you know, in their portrayals. They are doing very, maybe different things. It would have been another iteration of their same characters. This they're able to do something very different with. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that the show is, I mean, to say it's formally experimental, maybe going a little too far, but they do a lot of, I mean, there are, the show is very famous for flashback episodes of just all new scenes where they'd just be sitting around. One of the episodes we watched was a Valentine's day episode. So it's just them sitting around and talk and eating chocolates and talking about Valentine's days gone by. And, it gets more of a sketch comedy feel in those episodes in a way they, they they do a very like i said this is the one with the uh uh the scene of Blanche going to the restaurant where her husband proposed to her and it's like a 3 4 minute scene that really doesn't connect to anything else but it's a very nice scene a very good uh, an an opportunity for her to show some dramatic bits you know and all that
0: yeah, yeah, I think so, and and you know, funnily enough, too, I think in a, in, in kind of a, a similar way, um, you you get the show. You're right; like, it's not formally experimental, but it, it also very much does slot in very nicely to um, a, a very '80s idea of a sitcom. Mm. But I think that's where its power comes from. Like, it it is allowed to be a little bit. Uh, uh, daring in some of the subject matter it's talking about because it is so traditional in other ways. I mean, you know, if this was a formally experimental show, I don't think it would have been nearly as successful. Oh yeah. And what you have is, you know, you're, you're taking your medicine with some, with some, with some sugar. I mean, you're getting these very, these very funny actresses who are uh, performing these scripts that are very, very well done and very funny. But they're also talking about aging. They're talking about yeah. assisted suicide. They're talking about HIV. They're talking about uh, gay rights. I mean, they're talking about all sorts of things that they're, they're able to do. And I think also the fact of the matter is that these are four women of a certain age, as we talked about, that, you know, the show was a surprise hit. Like, no one thought this show was going to do anything. Um, it was on Saturday nights. It was aired on yeah. Saturday nights. I mean, I don't think that there are any network shows that are aired on Saturday nights anymore because no one watches television <laughs> on Saturday nights. But it, it was such, and I think it really belies the point that, um, you know, I don't think people know what they want. <laughs> like, you get these <laughs> focus groups and you get like all this stuff. and But at the en- end of the day, something like the Golden Girls can come out and everyone reacts really strongly yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think maybe uh, the last thing to talk about with the Golden Girls. Well, or one um, of
1: the, I like, I figured we can either talk, we could do four episodes on this and, you know, have a very, be- again, this is part of my, I, I mean this is a show I remember my grandparents watching and then in like high school and college I caught an episode and then that was the point when I realized, oh, this is kind of dirty. Like I think everybody has that yeah. moment with the Golden Girls where they realize what it actually is talking about and then you get embarrassed because like, oh my god, my grandmother got these jokes and – um
0: but like, yeah, it's a kind of, well, it is a kind of show where you can watch it when you're six or you yeah. can watch it when you're 60. And I mean, I remember watching it when I was a kid, you know, sitting up really close to the television, singing along with the theme song. Yeah. How my how my parents didn't know. I, was <laughs> bag, I don't know. But um yeah, I mean, I have those memories of it. And I think that, yeah. uh you know, in a weird way, like as the show went on and as the show became more and more of an institution, While the show itself, I think, still was pretty willing to go places that a lot of other sitcoms would not have gone, uh, it kind of had a safety valve in being a a bit more, um, I guess, a bit more traditional in the spinoffs that it had. I mean, we haven't talked about Empty Nest at all, uh, but that was a spinoff of the show with one of the neighbors, and he was a doctor, and he lived with his two adult Uh, children. And a dog. But I think that that was a more traditional show in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, and then from that spun off a show called Nurses, which was about two nurses at the hospital. And I've never seen that show. I I never really seen Empty Nest, but I know even less about nurses.
0: I used to watch Empty Nest a lot. Um, I don't really remember anything Mm -hmm. about it. Um, But it was a much more traditional show because it was more male-focused. I mean, there was a, a character, I think his name was Charlie on that show that was basically like a, you know, stereotypical male horn dog. Okay. And you know, that's something that the, that the Golden Girls just didn't do you know, because they, it was a bit more, it was a bit more clever than that.
1: Well, yeah, because the stereotypical horn dog was Blanche on that show. Um, hmm
0: but then, like you, t- you think about as the show became an institution, and they were afraid of going away from it and afraid of losing it. You know, the show got canceled at, at the seventh season. I think it probably could have gone on longer than that. But um, as I understand it, B. Arthur wanted yeah. to, to, to finish the show. She was pretty much done with it, and the other three actresses were talked into doing the the, the Golden Palace spinoff, which you know, <laughs> like which took away B. You...
1: Arthur and added Cheech Marin, and lasted one season.
0: Yeah. And and so, like, you get this weird thing where you've got these four women that are part owners in this house and are going to take care of each other as they get older. And suddenly in the last episode yeah. of The Golden Girls, Dorothy goes off and gets married. All right, fine. She's allowed to do that. But then, you know, they they spin off and they buy this hotel. And it's like, what is happening? <laughs> and and in, a, in a weird way, like golden palace is a sitcom like it is much more traditional and i think that's why the show didn't last nearly as long because it turned these characters into sitcom characters in a very traditional way
1: yeah I, i i mean they there was nothing in the show that makes it think that they would actually ever own a hotel no matter you know what happened uh
0: I, I, yeah and the fact of the matter is like having Sophia be the cook yeah. in a hotel when she's like supposed <laughs> to be like eighty five years old that just seems cruel to me yeah but... <sighs> that show. well I mean you know like richard said we we could probably talk about the golden girls for for four more hours but uh <laughs> i think we'll leave it there um but yeah if you know it's a ve- if you it's a very good show it's a very special you, show to me. Yes, me too. And if you haven't seen it before, if you've never seen it or if you haven't seen it in a long time, um, you know, go out and watch it because, you know, if you're giving us money every yeah. month, you obviously uh respect our opinions on on television shows. So, just do it already. It's on Hulu, all of it. I
1: mean, I this is one of the shows that I owned all every season of the DVDs of and I have seen the full series at least five or six times just from the DVDs alone. And, like, in college when I used to watch Lifetime, they'd have an hour of Golden Girls every day. And so I have seen it, it, uh, many of these episodes I've seen a dozen times. And I, I – we, we, again, had a list of about a dozen episodes we were watching for this. And I continued on, and I'm going to keep watching. I'm going to finish watching the rest of the series over the next – few weeks just because i really fucking love this show so much i went out a couple of times with this dude who lived with these three other guys and they had a segment and they all loved the golden girls and they had a segment on this vh1 show called like obsessed or something like that which is about like fandoms and they had a scene where they were like dressed as the golden girls and talking about how much they loved the show um i don't know it's that kind it's that show that's what the show is
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, everyone, thank you very much uh, for listening to this patron special. Thank you very much for your monthly support. Uh, We really, really do appreciate it. And it it, it helps us continue uh, to do the podcast that you love. Um, Please continue to listen to both Trek about and tuning in. If you have any thoughts on this patron special, please leave a comment. Uh, on the patron special on Patreon. Um, you can also uh, you know, shoot us an email, truckaboutshow at gmail.com if you have any ideas about patron specials um, that you want to do. We have ideas for the next couple ones, but we have a whole for September. So if you have any ideas, let us know. Um, should we say what we're doing next month? Yeah. Since we already know? Yeah, because they need time right. to prepare. Yes, they do need time to prepare. So uh, next month, we're going to go back to science fiction. Uh, we're actually going to be talking about the first Mass Effect game um i think because i was so disappointed by mass effect andromeda so yeah we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about um the world building aspects of it you know its influences what we think of it as a game all of those things uh so look out for that um we've also got uh, a couple months from now we're going to talk about the orville which is the what's his name seth mcfarland yeah uh your favorite uh, creative on
1: person on a My, tv show yes
0: my absolute favorite creative person. Um, and then also, of course, uh, well, I guess we'll say this now because we, we've we kind of figured it out. Uh, it'll be a sneak preview just for the patrons. <gasps> um, we had a discussion a couple days ago about how we're going to handle Star Trek Discovery. And we're going to cry so, and
1: we're going to, like, gasp at the scary parts. That's how we're going to handle it.
0: Yeah. Uh, no, we're going to be doing Star Trek Discovery as it comes out once a week. Uh, And we're just going to do it as soon as we can. So you'll be getting two truckabouts per week uh, starting around September 25th-ish for like seven weeks. Then there's a break because the show's going away for two months. Then it's coming back for like eight episodes. So look forward to that as well. It is finally happening. It is finally real. It is less than three months away. I just hope it's good.
1: I would like to say... Thank you for being a patron. (laughs) Gave us lots of money like a matron. Your card is true. Yes, a payment was processed.